Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Today we want to look in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll look in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll read verse 22 into a little bit of chapter 2 here in just a little bit. I want to talk about love today. You know, many songs obviously are about love and, and many shows and movies they they have an element of love in them but the problem is the love that they show and, and demonstrate it's just very unstable it's volatile it, it it's a love that's constantly changing it's tossed about like the waves on, uh, on the ocean, because you see characters on the TV or whatever, even you know, the subjects of songs, and what they're doing is they're, they're changing their objects of love constantly. I mean, more than I change socks, I mean, they're just constantly falling in love with, with somebody else. There, there's a discontentment in the love that is depicted. And because it's part of popular culture, that sort of attitude toward love is then encouraged in real life. It's like it bleeds into real life. And so then you get people who are, you know, falling in love with someone every other day, changing one boyfriend to another, girlfriend to another, and then leads people from it's changing, you know, jumping from one spouse to another. The love that our popular culture gives is not one of commitment. In fact, it's a very selfish love. And so, you know, whenever you hear the word love, you really need to analyze it. You really need to question it. What kind of love is it that, you know, they're talking about? What kind of love is being portrayed or sung about in that song? Because let's face it, the worldly love that pop culture gives is no love at all. And I make mention of this to contrast it with the love that is eternal, that is real, that is stable. And I want to contrast it with, you know, how then that love that we receive is then demonstrated in our life. Because it first starts with the love of God toward us. And it comes into our life and bleeds into our life. And then it overflows through us toward other people. A river of love, so to speak, flows through us toward other people, especially within the church. So I've been doing a study in 1 Peter. And Peter tells us that Christians are simply pilgrims who are going on a journey in this world. Because this world is not our home. This is a journey toward the final destination where Jesus is waiting for us with open arms to greet us into our eternity. Of course, he's waiting for us with open arms now for us to come to him and receive that love. But we're just on a, a journey. This is not the finality of it all. And so Peter's trying to describe that, and he's trying to describe the lifestyle that we have as pilgrims, knowing that this is not our final destination here, knowing that this is not the end 
here, the goal here? What is the lifestyle? How do we live as ones who are merely on a journey? You know, setting our future, setting our hope on what's awaiting for us in the future, but while we're here living in holiness and we seek to honor God with our lives. Well, that lifestyle leads us to love, but it's not a humanistic, worldly love. It's not the love that we're used to in the media. It's not the love that's depicted in songs. We want to find today true Christian God love. And we find that it has a supernatural source that then brings a supernatural change in us and then that leads us to be conduits of that love. And so we first have to receive the love before we can give the love. And I want to talk about that as Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 1. And so I want to read a few verses from this passage. If you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's word, as I read verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. And this is what Peter says. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that everyone here knows your love, and I pray everyone here is a conduit of your love. Lord, build that within us, this eternal love that this world desperately needs. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So this is going to be a very simple message that, you know, I hope will open up hearts to accept the love of God that then empowers us to be a spring or a fountain from which love flows. So the first aspect that I want to talk that Peter talks about is the supernatural source of love. Supernatural source of love. Now, you know, you read Peter, and, and, and Peter is just throwing so much at you at once. If you've, ever, if you've noticed, you know, ever in Peter's writings, he just throws all this rich theological detail and... Sometimes it's difficult to pinpoint the main thrust of the message because so much is going on. And, you know, because he has a main point, but then everything around it fits that main point, but you've got to put it together like a puzzle. So what in the world is the main point here? What's the main thrust? Well, it's found in verse 22. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Peter is saying to us Christian pilgrims, this is part of your journey. You are to love others in a way that perseveres. You don't follow the culture where people are falling in and out of love every day. You are to love other people constantly 
and consistently. And this is especially true within the realm of the church. But this constant and consistent love is also a pure love, a clean love. It doesn't have impure motives behind it. It's pure in the sense that the love that you give to others doesn't expect anything in return. Your love is not contingent on what you're going to get out of the deal. I'll love you if you fill in the blank. No, that's not the love he's talking about. The love he's talking about is I love you. Period. End of story. But let's face it. That's a tall order for us human beings. How do we get there? Because, I mean, let, let's get real. We know that by our nature, there's one person that we love above everybody else. And it's me. I love me, and you love you. Everyone loves them. So I'm not saying you love me. I'm saying me as in each me out here, right? Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, everyone loves me. No, I'm saying myself, you. You love yourself, I love myself. Everyone loves themselves, right? The most. It's easy to love self. Yeah, but that's why Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself because you do love yourself so much. So then that love goes to others. Yeah, that, 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 that's the, the, the problem. This is where, though, all the other details come in of what Peter is saying. So let me see if I can sum, sum up what Peter is saying and then draw it out of the passage here. You are able to love others because you were loved in a very specific way. You were loved in a supernatural way. You received a supernatural love. And by you receiving that supernatural love, you're so changed, you're able to then share that love with others. You are able to love others as much, if not more, than you love yourself. So how does he bear that out? Well, he tells us in verse 23 that you live out this love toward others since you have been born again. And this returns to a theme that Peter started back in verse 3, where, where Peter says God caused us to be born again. We've been given a new birth. We have been given a new life. We are new. Everything about us becomes new. Even if, you know, our feelings and our emotions might not line up with that, but that doesn't matter because it's the reality. The reality is you have been born again if you're in Christ. And that's the key. How do we become born again? How did we receive this new life that lets us love others earnestly and from a pure heart? Well, he tells us that we have been born again through the living and abiding word of God, which planted an imperishable seed in our hearts. So what in the world does that mean? Now, you know, we talk about the word of God, and in general, you know, we know that means God's entire revelation in the Bible. But more specifically, it's talking about the gospel message, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, especially the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. So what is this seed of the gospel message? What is this imperishable seed that he is talking about? Yes, God 
loved us. But how did God demonstrate his love? See, here's the difference between what the world is preaching, because the world is preaching that, yeah, God loves you. He loves you so much. You can, he loves you so much you're just able to do whatever you want to do. You can live according to your own passions and desires. But that's not what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? How did God give and demonstrate his love toward us? God so loved the world that he gave his son. That's what the Bible says about how God loves the world. This is the way, this is the manner in which God loved. He gave his son. What did the son do? Well, the son left the glories of heaven. He became a, per a human being. He lived a perfect life, and then he died on the cross as our substitute, right? He took our punishment for sin. He took it in our place, and then he rose from the dead. God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is God showing his love. Not God loves me no matter what I do and I'm just going to live like a complete heathen. No, that's not what the Bible says. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What's our response? We believe, right? God loved. How did he love? He sent the Son. What's our response? We believe. We believe and we receive eternal life. God loved in that way. We are called to love in that way. We are called to love one another earnestly from a pure heart since we have received that love by being born again by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the living, abiding word of God. It, it wasn't, you know, no, you know this is from God. No man could make this up. No human being could come up with this. It's not something that just someone came up with one day. He says this is not of human ingenuity because he quotes from Isaiah. He, he's saying, you know, if it was from the world, it would have passed away because all things of the world and all things of the flesh pass away. They're like grass that withers, things that are thrown in the fire, destroyed. But the gospel message, the word of God, the good news that is preached to you comes from God himself and it remains forever. The gospel never changes. The word of God never changes. It can never be altered. God won't change his mind one day and say, you know what? Uh, I changed my mind about this whole Jesus thing, this whole thing. And No, it is set in eternity. The word of God abides forever. And so we are able to love earnestly from a pure heart because we have been born again. But how, how does that make us love? Well, we return to verse 22. We're able to love because of this new life. And it specifically says that when we obeyed the truth, and it's talking about obeying the truth about the gospel message, we trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. This gave us new life which purified our souls so that we could sincerely, well, with a sincere brotherly love, I mean, it, it talks about brotherly love there, and yeah, it actually is the word Philadelphia. There's a reason why it's called the city of brotherly love. It's Philadelphia. We love one another as God loves. We have this love for other people because our hearts have been purified 
and made new. So we believe the gospel message that God loved us, he sent Jesus to die for us, that changes our nature, it purifies our soul, so then that we're able to earnestly love others from a pure heart. That's how we love. So here's the thing. Without this new life and, and the change of nature that it brings, it's impossible to love like Christians are called to love. Without that purification of the soul first, you're not able to love your family, you're not able to love friends, you're not able to love the church like you're called to. You're definitely not able to love like Jesus calls us to love, right? Jesus says, love your enemies. There ain't no way you're going to do that unless your heart has been changed, right? You first experience God's supernatural love, and then you can show others that supernatural love. It's not something that can be conjured up by the flesh. It's not something that can be faked forever. Yeah, you can put on a, a facade for a while, but that's going to fall down eventually. It's, you cannot muster up enough energy to keep this love up that Peter is calling us to. You first receive the love of God through Jesus Christ, then you are equipped. You are equipped. You have the equipment then to love others as we are called to do, to show that love as we are called to do. So let me use a very weird illustration, which is normal for me. But So imagine that somebody showed up to, in my office one day and said they just bought this lot of land, and what they want me to do is to come to that lot of land on Monday and be the manual labor that helps them build their dream home on that lot of land. And if you know my skill set, or lack thereof, that's what makes this a weird illustration, you really don't want me around too many tools or equipment. I'll probably hurt myself. But anyway, imagine that they do. All right, show up at my lot on Monday morning, start building my house. So I get there Monday morning, and I find absolutely nothing there for me to be able to build a house. There's no blueprints, there's no foundation laid, there's no lumber, there's no supplies, there's no tools with which to work. And then they drive up and start grilling me. Why aren't you building my house? And I tell them, I can't build your house. You haven't given me the equipment. You haven't given me everything necessary to build the house. I can't do what you told me to do if you don't first supply me with what I need in order to do it. And it's the same thing here. We cannot love like we're supposed to love until we first receive that love from God through Jesus Christ. And it changes us, and it gives us the new heart, and it gives us the new nature. That's the supernatural part of it. It has to be supernatural. I cannot love you. You cannot love me. You cannot love, we cannot love others until we first receive that love. And so this is the supernatural source. I am presented with the living and abiding word of God, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I obey the truth by obeying the call to believe in Jesus Christ. I am then born again, and my soul is purified, so then I can love others earnestly from a pure heart. That's the theological part of it. Well, what happens after that? What does this love look like? Well, that's where we pick it up. So secondly today, there we, Peter gives us the supernatural picture of love. So this is what it looks like, very summarized form. 
So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2, and going through verse 3, he tells us what this love looks like, and he gives us this picture from two different angles because he comes from a negative angle and he comes from a positive angle, meaning, you know, he comes from a negative angle saying, this is what you don't do. This is, love does not look like this at all. And then the positive angle, this is how you can build that love. So that's the positive negative. And so in verse 1, he begins with the negative. He tells us to put away things. The word there literally means stop doing what you're accustomed to doing. But then it's figuratively used to mean to take things off. I mean, like taking clothes off. So, you know, you're out in the yard all day. You've been working in the yard all day. Your clothes are covered with grass and mud and grime and, and sweat. And, you know, you can't wear that the rest of the day. You can't come in the house and then just lounge around in the house all that dirty, right? Your wife will get pretty mad at you if you try. You don't want to track that stuff in the house, so what do you do? You take the dirty stuff off and you get yourself cleaned up. Well, we got to take off these sins if we're going to love like we are called to love because these sins all have to do with how you treat other people and how you treat people wrongly is what it is. I mean, you're treating people wrongly this way, so we got to get rid of these habits that are the exact opposite of love. And so he gives this list of vices that, you know, where you don't do this because these sins are not compatible with love. You're called to love. These sins do not demonstrate love. In fact, they demonstrate the exact opposite of love. You cannot rightly love people and do these things. So what does it he say we're to take off? What are we to put away? What are we to get rid of? Well, first, he lists malice. The word describes a, a vicious attitude or disposition you have towards someone. It's, it, it's a feeling of hostility and ill will and strong dislike. I mean, you actually, to the point of where you wish something bad would happen to someone. You know, so, someone's annoying you and you're just thinking, Lord, you know, a, a really well-timed accident would be very helpful here. You know, no, no. You don't wish ill will toward other people. That's not Christ-like. That, that's of the flesh. That's of the sinful nature. It has no part or place in the Christian's heart. If we're to love like Peter calls us to love, you can't wish someone ill. No matter who they are, yeah, even your enemies. Yeah, you get frustrated with false teachers that are out there. You get frustrated with politicians from the other side, and you're thinking, Lord, it'd just be, life would be so much easier. You just take them out. That's not love. That is not love. We're called to something better than that. And so you put away malice. Next he says, put away deceit. The word means you're trying to take advantage of someone by underhand means, you know. You're, 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 in a sense, you try to manipulate people through lies and falsehoods. I mean, it might not even be an outright lie. You might just manipulate the facts. You might, you might act like the media, right? You manipulate the facts to twist the truth in such a way as to take advantage of people. You twist the truth in such a way that, yeah, you know what? You might be skirting on the truth, but you're presenting it in such a way that people believe something completely different, something false. And, and so you can't love someone and try and deceive them. You can't tr love someone and try and lie to them and make them believe something that isn't true, that's not love. 
Next he says, put away hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is incompatible with love. Now you know what hypocrisy is. It means to put on a mask, to, to put on a facade, to, put, to be fake. It's to, it's to create a false public image, right? So it gives the impression of you being one way when in actuality you're, you're, you're not. I mean, you're, try, you're, you're trying to be fake. So, so, I mean, I guess within the context, it's describing someone who's pretending to be a Christian, you know, a Christian pilgrim who's supposed to love, but it's all an act. They're not really, they really don't. Oh, yeah, I love you, but in reality, no, I really, I really don't. So, so they act loving around people because that's the image they want to impress upon people. Oh, look at me, I'm so loving. Or, you know, that's what's expected of them. That's our culture. We're in the Bible Belt. Everyone's supposed to be loving. And then you go behind their back and do something unloving. You know, so it, it, it's, it's not reflecting the real them, right? So, yeah, when you're around a group, okay, you're all loving. Oh, yeah, look at me, super Christian. And then... You're by yourself or maybe with an intimate group of friends and you're the exact opposite and you start hating on people and, and, and things like that. You know, all the falsehood eventually is going to fade away. You're going to slip. And it's going to show. But we're told to put that off. Don't be fake. If you don't love like Christ loves, don't fake it, but then also check your heart and see, look at your relationship with Christ. Where you're at with that. So put away the hypocrisy. Then he, we're told to put away envy. Put away envy. This is jealousy over, like, uh, you perceive someone to have this advantage and you're jealous of that. Because other people have something you have you, that, that you don't have and you want it and it ticks you off that the other person has it and you don't. And so, I mean, you, you may wish the other person didn't have it or you know or some you know you you're not, you can't be happy for the person that they have and just rejoice that they have it whatever it is and then you know you get to a point where you're like well if i can't have it i don't want them to have it either i mean there, there's a lot of different shades there but you can't someone you can't love someone earnestly and not rejoice with them when they're rejoicing and and grieve with them when they're grieving but I mean, if you can't rejoice over someone else's joy and you're just because of you're jealous of the joy they have or you're jealous of whatever they have, that's not love. How's that love? How can you say you love someone and then just be jealous and envious of what it is they have and you don't have it? That's not love. So finally, so put off envy. Then finally, Peter says, put off slander. So this is to speak ill of someone, defame their name, to defame their character. Whether you do it to their face or behind their back, it's when you assassinate someone's character for whatever reason. Um, I mean, whether you just don't like their attitude or they did a perceived harm to you, I mean, whatever the reason, it don't matter. You just talk about them and, and you're trying to knock them down. So, you know, obviously this covers gossip. One of the favorite sins of the Southern Baptist Convention, right? But it also includes social media posts where you put it out there with the intent of making someone look bad. You want to you make someone look bad in other people's eyes. 
So, you know, whether it's someone you know personally or whether it's a celebrity or famous person, you know, you're putting them down to make you feel better about yourself. And so you're, you're trying to slander them. You're trying to assassinate their character. And so you cannot say that you have been touched by the supernatural love of God. You can't say that you're a conduit of the supernatural love of God and then have all these actions and attitudes in your life. Right? Love of people will not allow you to show any malice toward them. You will not deal with them deceitfully. You will not be hypocritical about your love. You won't be envious of them. You will not slander them. Let's face it. We think that because it's a more silent sin or, well, maybe it's better to say that it's a more acceptable sin in society. Everyone else is doing it. Well, I'm just going to join in. Oh, here's a person who's getting beat up on social media. I'll just join in on the beaten up or whatever. And so all of us, we need to repent because let's face it, we've all dealt with these things. If we're going to be a Christian, if we're going to say we, we love like a Christian, we've got to love like a Christian, like we're called to. And I, hey, I'm as much of an offender as the next person, right? It's easy to talk about people who annoy you. It's easy to go on social media behind the mask of social media, so to speak, and say things about, about people or to people that you wouldn't say to their face, you know, be them a theological opponent or a political opponent or whatever. That's not love. That's not the love we're called to. We are called to be better than that. God so loved us, we so love others. And we're able to be better than that because of the positive aspect that he talks about. Because Peter tells us that instead of acting that way, instead of having all these vices, here's what you do to cultivate this love, to be a shining picture of love. He says, like newborn infants, we long for pure spiritual milk. Now, if you've ever had any dealings with an infant, they crave milk. They want to be fed all the time. They have their own schedule. They don't ask you your schedule. They have their schedule. You feed them on their schedule, right? You try and get them on your schedule. It'll work eventually. But they have their own schedule. It doesn't fit your schedule, especially when you're sleeping, right? I got my schedule. So they long, they have that craving. They have that longing. And Peter says, you have that longing. You have that craving. But it's not for milk. It's for the Word of God. Crave God's Word because it will grow you. It will, it will form you. It will shape you. It will sometimes hurt because it trims away the bad things. It prunes you so that you can love the way you're called to love. You grow, you mature, you find joy by craving the Word which will make you into a person who will love like you're supposed to love. So if you want to love like you're called to love, you put away the things that are the opposite of love, but then you hunger and crave for God's Word because God's Word will develop that love in you more and more. Yes, we receive the love from God through Jesus Christ, but 
it's not going to be automatic that, ooh, yes, now I just love people so well. No, that, that's something that we grow into, and God's Word helps us grow into that. The more that I am feeding on the Word of God, the more I understand the attitudes and actions it takes to, to allow that supernatural love to flow through me. Put away those vices, crave the Word of God. And Peter ends the section by saying, this is only possible if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That means you have experienced the love of God in Jesus Christ and it's absolutely amazing. It is absolutely amazing. But you have to experience it for yourself, right? You taste and see that the Lord is is good. You can't ride anybody else's coattails into salvation and find this love. You have to find this love for yourself. You have to experience it for yourself because that's the only way you're going to be able to really love like that. If you don't taste God and see that he's good for yourself, you can't go by anybody else's experience. You know, if I ate a delicious piece of cheesecake and let's face it, any piece of cheesecake is a delicious piece of cheesecake. And I tasted this cheesecake. It was me that tasted it, but then somebody asks you, how does the cheesecake taste? You're like, I don't know. I'm not the one that tasted it. He is. Talk to him. Only those who have experienced the love of God and the goodness of God are able to proclaim his love and goodness and testify what a wonderful God we have. And I hope you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. How are you able to testify about that if you haven't? So here's the thing. If that's you, if you yourself have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good, today is the day to do so. You receive the love from God so that you're able to love others as well. Believe in Jesus, experience his love, then you're going to be able to share that love with others. But Christians, we sometimes fall short. And today might need to be a day of repenting of how far we have fallen short of earnestly loving others from a pure heart. Did you ever think that maybe revival is being held back from us because of our lack of love or because we're loving wrongly or because, you know, we like to hold on to malice and, and envy and slander and hypocrisy and deceit and all that stuff. We always love to quote, you know, the, the, this thing that say, if, God, if my people are called by my name will humble themselves and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We like to quote that and point that at America. Here's the thing. That is pointed toward God's people. Guess what that means? It's pointed to the church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, my people, us, if we do that, then will I come 
and forgive their sins and heal their land. It starts here, y'all. And maybe revival isn't happening here because we aren't doing. We're holding on to our sin for dear life instead of letting go, and we're not loving like we should. And so Christians, maybe we need to pray for repentance, changes of hearts, so then God will forgive our sins and heal and bring revival. Maybe you're looking for a church home in which you can love and be loved. And I can't think of a better place than this. So consider joining yourself with this wonderful church family here today as we seek God's face and seek to love one another and love this world just as we. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.